welcome to the three of you. Please let me introduce each of you to our listeners. Alyssa Platkow, you are a fifth-year rabbinical student at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion here in Manhattan. Rabbi Rachel Timoner, you are the senior rabbi at Congregation Beth Elohim in Brooklyn. And Rabbi Joel Mosbacher, you are the senior rabbi of Temple Sharet Tefillah, also here in Manhattan. First, and most importantly, welcome to all of you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. So I do have to mention, of course, always, that Rabbi Timoner and Rabbi Mosbacher are also Plaza Jewish Community Chapel Board members. And today we are talking about the creation of New York City's first ever Reform Hever Kedisha. And that happened just about a year ago. And the significance that it has placed in New York Jewish community when it comes to honoring the deceased, caring for those who are left behind. I have to say, in my 22 years here at Plaza, this is definitely one of the most profound things I think the chapel has done. Let's begin, first of all, with what is a Hever Kadisha? Because I can guarantee that there are people who are listening who do not know its origins. Alyssa, let's begin with you, if you would. Start us off on that note. Sure. So a Hever Kadisha uh, literally means holy society. And traditionally, it's a group of people in a community or in a synagogue who care for a deceased member from the moment that they die until the moment that they're buried. And we have whispers of this practice even in biblical times. You know, we have the burial of the cave at Machpelah, we have Joseph's death, we have Aaron's death, Miriam's death, and wherever there's really any kind of mourning or sitting together in a place of mourning, we have this whisper of a Hever Kadisha. And then in Talmudic times, you know, that's 200 BCE to 500 CE, roughly, we have a few spoken words out loud. In Smachot, we have this word, Chaburot, which talks about societies who visit the sick and organizations that really care for the dead. But it's not until the 15 and 1600s that these practices of what a Hevra Kadisha is and symbolizes is really solidified. And in that moment, we understand what the rituals are uh, for caring for our deceased. I love how you use the word whisper. It really is a whisper. And I think that has transcended through the years in terms of the whole spirit of what a Hevra Kadisha is. So we really need to address the Reform community in this conversation. Historically, the Reform community has not embraced Hevra Kadisha as more traditional communities have. So Rabbis Timoner and Mosbacher, if you could chime in on that, I'd appreciate it. Why? I mean, it's a good question. At the beginnings of the reform movement, we embraced lots of practices and other practices got set aside. I think the ones that were least somehow rational, most superstitious were among the first that got set aside. Probably Hever Kadisha got caught up in that. I don't, I don't really know the whole history specifically of why, of which practices reform movement continued to embrace and which it set aside. I think the early reformers were making pretty bold statements about staking out a claim about what happens when we die and such 
and so they set aside some of these practices. I don't know that I have more clarity about why, but my hunch is that during the time of emancipation and enlightenment, there was a lot of pressure to assimilate and to kind of jettison things that might seem strange to the non-Jewish community, to embrace the things that were more universal and more similar to the surrounding society. And this is something that's really particularly Jewish. I've always been intrigued by Hever Kadisha and have wanted to be part of making one happen. And so this is really a dream come true for me in a lot of ways. Do you think that it also had to do with avoiding talking about death? Anything related to death, it wasn't a direction these communities really wanted to embrace. I think that's right. I mean, we certainly, in this society, the general society does not want to confront mortality. So much of our society is about lengthening life, about mm -hmm. seeming young, about looking young, about not aging. If you look at just how much in the media, how much people's attention is on how to not die, and then how much we hide illness and death, how much we put it away out of public view, how much we try to create a society where you don't have to look at it. It's not something that the reform movement has rushed to do because the larger society is averse to really thinking about looking at the fact that we will all die. Rachel, let me stay with you for a second and let's talk about the reform Hevra Kadisha. What exactly is different than a more traditional one? Why a reform Hevra Kadisha? The reform movement has a number of values and principles that have to do with inclusion, inclusivity, that halakha, strict Jewish law, doesn't necessarily allow for. One of the kind of obvious things is that it's important to us to include people of all genders, transgender people, in terms of both those who would be providing tahara and those who would be deceased and be cared for. In general, our liturgy is a little different. Our ways that we talk about God, talk to each other, in ritual is different. And so to be able to adapt the traditional practice in a way that includes everyone and in a way that speaks to everyone feels meaningful. And Alyssa, do you see in rabbinical school that more clergy students are interested in incorporating Hefra Kadisha in future congregational life? I think certainly since the forming of this Hever Kadisha, the students in New York, um, actually not just at HUC, but also at JTS, have taken advantage of this education. This is not education that we receive in our formal classes. It's education that is really tangible and touch-based. It's an action. It's an activity. It's not something you write a paper on exactly. But I think that one of the most important things here is that this Hevra was founded in the aftermath of COVID. So we were really experiencing an enormous communal loss of our family members and loved ones and large pieces, large percentages of our communities, especially here in New York. It is immensely powerful to participate in something tangible that sanctifies life in death. And now when we're watching the desecration of human life in Israel and Gaza, and some of us feel that there's a hopelessness there, it feels like we are able to actually have some agency when we go into the Tahara room and we take that moment to separate out everything that's going on 
and really focus on sanctifying life on mm. this one person being that last loving and caring touch before a person is buried. You touched on something that I think is so important to share, is that what the Hevra gets from this experience is incredibly powerful. I'd like you to touch on that for a moment. Your experience, because all of you have participated in Taharaz at this point, and what your personal experience has been in that, because I think that is such an important piece of this conversation. When we went through the training, I knew it was going to be the next opportunity that there was to be part of a Tahara. I was going to do that. I was actually afraid of it. I was afraid of what it would be like, whether it would be really upsetting and even maybe scarring. And it was profoundly beautiful. One of the things that Alyssa talked about and trainers from Kavod Vinichum talked about was that there's gratitude that you have as part of a Tahara team to the deceased for giving you the opportunity to have this experience with them. There is an intimacy of it. There is a beauty of it that is truly profound. We apologize in advance to the deceased for any way we might inadvertently not give them the highest respect in the way that we do it. And we're trying our best to give them the highest, deepest respect. There is this just incredible intimacy in touching and gently caring for their body, washing and purifying and gently touching their body that is just so loving. That is profound if you knew the person and I've done two in which I knew the person and, or if you don't know the person also just to be an agent of love like that. And the whole team, you know, most of it is silent. There's instructions back and forth and communication to, to facilitate it, but you're mostly just in silence and there's prayer, but a lot of it is in silence or in nigunim and kind of gently singing, but it's so bonding for this group. You go through this portal into this in-between world between life and death, and you're just being vessels of love to this person. Beautiful. The other, the other factor I would add too. Amen to everything Rachel said, and I've been a part of two Taharas, both of which were for people that I knew, and so to be able to help them as they helped me in life, I helped them death, was profound. And the other piece too was the appreciation that the families of the deceased have had, knowing that their loved ones are so cared for, and at least in one case. The family didn't know what this was at the beginning, and they didn't they didn't say, please, can we have one of these? And is there a reformed Hebra Kedisha? I mean, none of those words were in their mouths. And so it was a practice that I brought to their attention. And they thought about it when they knew that members of their community who had been there with them along the way in the, in the illness of the person who subsequently died, knowing that there were members of the community who tended to his body, lovingly dressed him and placed him in the casket, I think brought a level of comfort to them that surprised them and maybe even surprised me in a kind of way. So it's been really sacred in all of those ways to be with our loved ones after death and also to know that this family that's left behind knows that their loved ones are being so lovingly taken care of in this way. Yes. Alyssa, please. 
I completely agree with everything that's been said, especially the flipping of the mitzvah, right? Our sages tell us that this is the ultimate mitzvah that we can ever do because the person who has died, the deceased person, can't say thank you to us. But it's really what you said, Rabbi Timoner, that actually it's the flip of that. It's that we are walking out of the room and we cannot express our gratitude to the East. For those of us who are in the room, these relationships, this kind of focus without technology, this focus on something so small in which every single person is involved and fully focused on just the caring for this deceased person, that doesn't happen in any kind of place in our society. Maybe in the medical world a little bit, there are moments in which everyone is focused in this very hyper-intensive way. But when you walk out of that room and you've experienced the grounding and elevation simultaneously of caring for the person in this transitional moment, you're forever changed. And the people that you go through uh, that experience with are bonded to you forever. And the relationships that we're creating in the Reform Community Hevra are certainly across congregations and even more so across movements. There are uh, members who are in unaffiliated congregations, conservative congregations, and constructing Judaism congregations who are now bonded in that way. Something you each touched on, which is the heartbeat of Judaism, in addition to Torah, of course, is community and how we serve community, how we are in community, how we build community. And this is certainly a most sacred and profound way to do just that. So Rabbi Mosbacher, how do we elevate the importance of Hevra Kedisha in community life, in congregational life? There is no shortcut. There's no one answer to that question. Rabbi Timoner and I have each preached on the high holidays in recent years about the importance of confronting mortality and taking an active part of making your own choices so that when the time comes, your loved ones know what you want, which is, as Rabbi Timoner said, like something that our society generally avoids and, and, and we want to avoid as human beings, perhaps. I think I naively thought, you know, I gave a sermon about it. And I think like most of the work that we do as, you know, as clergy, the places where it's really becoming a possibility is in those moments with individual families who are making either like an individual who's like trying to think ahead about what they'll want for themselves, ideally, or failing that, a conversation with a family who is on the precipice of having to make choices and sort of framing it for them. I, I wish there was some other shortcut, but at the same time, I know that one-to-one relational sacred conversation is really where most of our best work happens. Rabbi Timoner, you touched on this initially when you talked about creating the Hever Kedisha. The reform community is transparent about embracing the spectrum of gender identities in our communities. Do you think by creating this Hever Kedisha, it is acknowledging those communities in a more profound way that is meaningful, that will allow the conversation of Hever Kedisha to be elevated. I definitely think that the design of what we're doing is a very clear message to the transgender community that they belong in, in all regards. I also think that in doing so, we're also just saying to everyone, everyone, you belong. In general, what we're wanting to say is no matter who you are, no matter what your life is like, we are here to care for you. 
And I do think that it's going to be person by person, word of mouth. That's how it's going to spread as people have this experience for their loved ones and recognize how deeply meaningful it is. Um, they're going to tell their the people around them and those people when it when when it comes time for when someone they love dies, they're going to say, huh, I wonder if this is available to me. It's going to spread like that for the people who've been involved, the, the volunteers who've been involved and for all the families who've been touched by the Taharot we've already done. It's something that I think has surprised them mm-hmm. in how meaningful and important and beautiful it has been. And that is bound to just spread. It will take time, but I have no doubt that it's going to grow the number of people who know about this and want this and have been affected by its beauty. It's just going to keep growing. Tell me, how many people have signed up already to be part of the Hevra? Uh, we have 101 members. Not all of those people uh, opt into doing Tahara, but there are there are many different roles that they play. There are coordinator roles. Um, we have uh, once every three months, we have a uh, walk-in kind of group facilitated reflection on what Tahara has looked like for people. We have trainings that are done. There are people who are uh, literally the head or the the person who's holding the space in the Tahara room. And it's really been such a beautiful moment of community engagement, I would say. We're partners in creating it, but it's really so far beyond us. I want to say, and I know I speak on behalf of the rabbis on this call, that Alyssa, you have done a terrific, terrific job of organizing this entire endeavor, and we all are most appreciative. As we close, will the Hever Kadisha be a facilitator in elevating the importance of end-of-life conversation? I'm hoping it will be, by the way, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I mean, how can it not be? Just by existing, just by this conversation, right? We're encouraging people to be thinking about, huh, what do I want the end of my life to be like? How do I want to be cared for? What are the mm-hmm. choices I want to make? Uh, or for my loved ones. Every volunteer who's part of the Hevakadishan, every family who's been touched by it, has an, another level of reflection about what meaning making can look like at the end of life. What love can look like at the end of life. There's no way that it would have happened without the partnership of Plaza and without, Stephanie, your personal investment and commitment to making space, to holding space, to helping us learn, to keeping us, uh, you know, moving. This is an amazing partnership that should be a model in other places across the country, but it's a real tribute to you and to Plaza. And I know you and Plaza in general work so hard to facilitate this kind of conversation in communities all across our area uh, so that we can lift up the conversations around end of life so that people can make active choices and not only make choices in a moment of crisis. I appreciate that. It wouldn't be possible without Plaza. It wouldn't have happened. I second that. It wouldn't be possible without you, Alyssa, and it wouldn't be possible without you, Stephanie. And thank you both. Alyssa and Stephanie have been keeping two very unruly (laughs) rabbis accountable. I do that all the time, by the way. (laughs) I'm always doing that. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And yes, I will say Plaza is approaching its 23rd year of service to the community and to be able to partner in profound ways. Yes, when we get the call, but also in ways to support the community is beyond meaningful. 
Rabbi Rachel Timoner and Rabbi Joel Mosbacher and Alyssa Platkow. In May, I'll call you Rabbi Alyssa Platkow. Thank you so much for your dedication and always your partnership in um, doing sacred work. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor. As the host of Exit Strategy, I thank you for tuning in to what I hope was an informative and illuminating conversation. I urge you to visit our show notes and there's an email listed there. So if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested and subscribe to Exit Strategy. Wherever you listen to your podcasts each month, we'll renew our conversation with another topic And I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy.